welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 5th of March 2017, entitled Trusting in God's Provision, and the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Alright, if you'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this evening to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 19. Of course, if you've got either a red-lettered Bible or you've got those little notes, you'll find that back at the beginning of chapter 5 was when Jesus began speaking what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, containing the Beatitudes as we call them. And this is part of that message that we pick up here in verse 19 and read through the end of the chapter. And I invite you to stand with us this evening in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Again, beginning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. The word of God says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil... Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you? by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Or why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and Tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture that we have before us this evening, one that possibly many of us have read many times before, and yet, Lord, it does not get old. The message here is one that we constantly need to be reminded of, and Lord, as we gather here this evening around your word, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, Lord, just be able to take a few thoughts from this this evening. Speak through your servant. Lord, you know the heart of everyone that is here this evening. You know the words that need to be spoken to reach out to them. Lord, I don't. So, Father, I pray, speak to hearts as only you can. Father, meet the needs of each one that is here, and may we, each one, receive and be responsive to that which you have for us. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, it is a familiar passage and one that many, many different sermons could be preached from it. And if you were here this morning, and I mentioned this morning, and if you hear the, the several weeks leading up to the conference, I know that at least in my heart, God has been trying to bring, we, we, we looked at this series of three sermons leading up to the conference that was speaking about experiencing the presence of God in our lives, not just knowing about him, but experiencing him being there because we do believe and accept that promise that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. So either God is with us, no matter how big the problem is, no matter where we are, he's there with us or he's a liar and none of us have any hope anyway. We looked with all these various sermons to the conference, focusing on this theme of being sifted, but finding triumph through the troubles. Troubles are real and we do go through them and they're all very individually based. And of course, then we began this morning what we'll be looking at probably the next at least two or three Sunday mornings as we looked at this thought and we said, yeah, you know, we hear a lot about Mr. Trump is going to make America great again. And I said, I hope he does. But he's a man and he's got plans and he may or he may not succeed. And I wish him only the best in what he's going to try to do. And we talked about the fact that the only reason that greatness matters to us in anything is something that we belong to. I mean, let's be honest. You could probably really care less whether Russia was made great again or you could make the whole list of nations, but for Britain to be great, for America to be great, for your country to be great, whether it's Romania or whatever that it might be that, that your roots are at, it matters because it's part of you and you're part of it. And this morning we began talking on the thought of making our church a great church, which has nothing to do with greatness in the eyes of man and has nothing to do with how big we are, or how posh that our surroundings are, or any of these things. But we've begun to look, and we'll be looking these next few weeks, at how that if we're looking at all these individual things, experiencing the presence of God in our lives as an individual, many of us, we promised to pray this last week genuinely, at least every day. If it's only two or three minutes, we promised to pray for real revival that would begin in our lives, that would go through our churches, that would go through our nation again. You see, those individuals we saw this morning in the book of Acts, that it was them that 
believed. It begins with that belief, that trust in Jesus Christ. That's where it begins for all of us, and that's where all of these things don't matter if we don't first have that belief and trust in him. But we also said that it does matter what happens to us individually, but it also matters what happens to us collectively as a group, the church that Jesus Christ is building right here. And I could care less if any man out there ever thinks that it's great. But I hope with all my heart that we can be a great church in God's eyes because we are what he wants us to be. Not what I want, not what I need, but what God wants, what he needs, what he's willing to use with us. With all of that in mind, as we begin to look at this passage this evening, it really comes back to that faith and that trusting. If you hadn't guessed from the songs that we were singing earlier, we find that so much, our Christian life begins by exercising our faith. We can't do enough. We can't belong to enough. We can't in any way become part of God's family. Or by grace, are you saved through faith? We've got to exercise that faith. That's the only road. That's the only pathway to God's grace, which is the only thing that will save us. The Lord's disciples, not long before this rendering here that was given to them, there that we call the Sermon on the Mount. You got to remember that just like you and I, they were men that Jesus had come along and they had put their trust, their faith in this one called Jesus. But even then, just like us, there was something here that some people never experienced, and that was that the Lord Jesus immediately was calling them to follow him, to fully serve him, to leave their businesses and their homes behind to walk with him in the duty that he had for them to accomplish. Now, they would have naturally had concerns. Okay, God, but, you know, if I'm going to leave my successful business behind, some of them had families. If I'm going to leave my family behind, well, where are they going to get food from? Where, where are we going to get food from? We're leaving behind our livelihood. Where are we going to get our food? Where are we going to get our clothes? These are the natural things that he's trying to remind them of here in this sermon, just the basic necessities of life. And Jesus is addressing that problem. And, of course, there are many things that he says here, but he said to them there in verse, in verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you. And then notice the last words. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Why am I having to remind you of this? Why do you not trust me more? Where is your faith at in all of this? And of course, you know, we have many, many promises and we've, we've looked at a lot of those in, in recent times. And of course, one that is very familiar to many of us is found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. It's a verse that many Christians memorize and quote, but my God shall supply what? All your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
My God, he shall supply all your need, all those necessities. He will do it, not according to what we see, not according to what we have, not according to what the church has, but according to his riches in glory. And it's going to happen by and through Jesus Christ himself. Do we believe that? You see, I want you just to think on this very, very simple thought tonight. Trusting in God's provision. Trusting in God's provision. Trusting in God for your daily provision to meet those needs that you have. You see, the moment that we begin to worry about that, the moment that we begin to worry about it really is the moment that we begin to doubt God's word, doubt God's promises. If God has make us, made us a promise, do we believe it or don't we? We can quote the words, but are we living according to it? Do we really believe it in our hearts? We can read anything. We can memorize. I can, I could, well, I don't know. I'm getting pretty old to start memorizing a whole, but I started to say I could go out and memorize the, the communist manifesto, but that don't mean that I believe it. <laughs> we can know God's word. But I'm asking you this evening, do you really trust him? These are his disciples that he's talking to. These are his followers. And he knows their genuine concern. He says, oh, ye have little faith. Just look around you at what God does all around you. He takes care of the birds and he, and he takes care of this, his natural beauty out there in the fields and the grass. What makes you think that he wouldn't take care of you? I honestly don't remember if I've, told this story before or not because it's one that I read many years ago and I may have used it as an illustration here in the past. I'm not very good at, at writing down what I've told you and what I have and I just trust God week by week to remind me of what I need to tell you this week. But the story was about a little girl by the name of Sally. Little Sally was only eight years old. She was young, innocent, but she heard, overheard a conversation between her, her mom and her dad about her little brother called Georgie. Now, little Georgie was, was very, very sick. And they had done everything that they possibly could. They had spent their life, life savings to go and, and to have the very best that they could do to do what they could to save little Georgie's life. There was only one surgery left that had any hope but it was just so expensive that it wasn't because they didn't want to. They just didn't have it. Now, you can consider this a necessity or a need or whatever, but for this family, it was a real need. Financially, it was just out of the question. And then she heard her daddy in just almost a whispered desperation saying, to her mom, only a miracle can save him now. We've done everything we can. Only a miracle can save him now. Well, Sally had overheard all this, and she went off up to her bedroom, and she got her 
little piggy bank down and she began to empty all the coins out of her piggy bank out onto the, onto the floor there. She began to count it and she knew that, well, she had to be right about this. She couldn't make a mistake and she, she counted it over and again and again like three times through because she wanted it to be right. No chance for a mistake. Then she took all those coins and she tied them up into a handkerchief. She slipped out of their apartment. She made her way down to the corner drugstore, pharmacy, chemist, whatever you want to call it, where they sell those things to make us better. And she went to that corner pharmacy and she was standing there very patiently, wanting to get the attention of the pharmacist. But he was real busy talking to somebody else that was on the other side of the counter and they were in just this deep conversation and she she began by, you know, just kind of twisting her feet and, and making these scuffing noises, but that didn't uh, that didn't do any good. She tried the old <clears throat> <clears throat> clearing her throat to make sure that he knew that she was there. Didn't seem to make any difference whatsoever. But finally, she took one of the coins out of her little handkerchief and she banged it on the glass counter. <laughs> and she just started banging it on the glass counter. That got his attention real quick. He looks at her and in almost a fed-up voice, he says, and what do you want? <laughs> and he said, can't you see I'm busy talking to my brother? It happened to be his brother that he was in conversation with. And the little girl said, Sally said, well, I want to talk to you about, about my brother. Said, he's, he's really sick. My dad said that the only thing that will help him is a miracle. And said, I'm here to buy a miracle. And I've brought everything that I've saved. I've got enough, hopefully, to buy a miracle. But my daddy says that only a miracle can, can save my little brother now. And then she asked a question. She says, how much does a miracle cost? She's in her simple little eight-year-old girl. So the pharmacist says back to her, he said, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't sell miracles here, little girl. But she said, but, but listen, I, I've got the money to pay for it. Just tell me how much it cost. So at this time, the brother of the pharmacist, the well-dressed guy on the other side of the counter, he just bent down and he asked her the question. He says, just what kind of miracle is it? that your brother needs. She said, I, I don't know. She said, as the tears began to run down her cheeks, she said, I just know that he's really sick. And I just know that mommy says he, he needs an operation and daddy says it's going to take a miracle, but they don't have the money to pay for it. So I brought my money. I want to pay for it for my brother. And so he asked her, he says, well, just how much money do you have there? She said, I've got a dollar and 11 cents. A dollar and 11 cents. And I mean, to her, that was all the money in the world. The well-dressed man looked at her and she says, wow, what a coincidence. He says, a dollar and 11 cents. I think that's exactly what a miracle cost. And he asked the little girl, says, why don't you take me to where you live? I want to see your brother and I want to meet your parents. So they went down there. Well, she didn't know, and this is a true story, by the way, that his name was Dr. Carlton Armstrong. 
He was a renowned surgeon, and it just happened that his specialty was what Georgie needed in his operation. And he got there, and, and, and he talked to the mom and dad, and he saw little Georgie, and a lot of things happened, but in the end, little Georgie got his surgery. <laughs> and she heard her mom say to her dad, said, <laughs> It's, it's like a miracle. I wonder how much it would have cost if we'd had to pay for that surgery. And Sally just smiled to herself because she knew exactly how much a miracle cost. One dollar and 11 cents. And you see, to some people, that would be a coincidence, not a miracle. But to me, that was God providing for that need through the simple faith of a little child. And I've got news for you. He tells us that unless we have the faith of that little child, <laughs> we're not going to please him. There's no way. And I want you to just to remember this evening that as Jesus is talking to his disciples, their concerns are real. They are genuine. God doesn't want you to doubt. That's why he's made all these promises Satan is the only one that brings those doubts into your mind. Your flesh that's been influenced by sin and, and, and the world. God will never, ever, ever get you to doubt less than that anything is possible with him. Nothing is impossible with God, and he's promised. Now, sometimes we get our needs and our wants mixed up a little bit, but God doesn't. And he's promised that he will meet those needs. But Satan's always there. He's the one that's always bringing those doubts. We find here that Jesus is saying, guys, look around. Remember who your God is. Look at what he's doing. Don't be worried about the food and the raiment, these necessities. Don't you realize he's promised to meet every need that you have. Of course, you know that we refer to John chapter 14 a lot because that was some of the great promises that Jesus was making just as he was preparing these same disciples. This was at the beginning of their ministry, and that was at the end of their ministry. And there's he's trying to prepare them, and he's encouraging them not to let their hearts be troubled. <laughs> Again, you believe in God, believe also in me. Believe who I am. And all those promises that came down in verse 13, he says, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, folks, we go a lot of places. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that God stands there to meet our demands. I believe that when we're walking, and of course this passage in its context is right there when he's sending the Holy Spirit to move into our lives, to take control of our lives. I believe that when Christ is truly in control of our lives, as we talked about this morning, that we are not going to want what we want. But just like we saw in the early church, they're more concerned about the needs of others than they are their own. I believe that the disciples, as they struggled with little faith, 
that sometimes we struggle with little faith. I want to say before I say anything else this evening that if you've struggled with little faith when it comes to putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work, what other hope do you have? What else is there? Why would you not believe the one that created you and put you here? You need to exercise that, that faith. You need to come to him in that simple childlike faith and trust in him. But Christians, you may have exercised that faith in your life to save you. And you know that your sins are forgiven and that one day you're going to glory. But may I say to you this evening that sometimes Christians struggle just as these disciples were here. They suffer with little faith. And sometimes when we suffer with that little faith, we forget some of the things that are so simple to us. You see, why do we struggle with that faith? Well, may I say to you, there's a few simple things that I want to pass on, and I don't know your personal things, but sometimes, sometimes we struggle with little faith because we're seeking too much in the wrong place. We're seeking too much in the wrong. We want the security of the possessions that we have down here. We want the security of a home that we can live in, of, of money in the bank to where we know that the bills are going to be paid. We're seeking too much from the temporary possessions that we have in this world. But as believers, we don't operate in the natural world anymore. Yes, the unsaved around us, they have to worry about those things, but not us. We have responsibility. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, the Word of God says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Preacher. I've got to take care. I've got to supply for my family. The Bible says I'm worse than a lost person if as a Christian I don't take my responsibility seriously. Yes, faith is not an excuse to sit down and do nothing and just expect God to do everything for you. Nowhere in the Bible do I find laziness as a virtue of any kind whatsoever. Misapplication of faith. It's no credit. It doesn't help a person spiritually. We must take our responsibilities seriously, and nobody should take them more seriously than a, than a Christian. But God will provide all of those needs, whatever they are. He'll provide it miraculously if he needs to. <laughs> he'll provide it in a way that he'll receive the glory for it. You know, the Apostle Paul, most would not deny that surely he's one of the greatest preachers that ever walked on the face of the earth. We have more of the books of the New Testament because of his faithfulness and part of those he was writing while he was locked away in prison because they didn't like what he was preaching. He stayed faithful. He kept trusting. He kept the faith. Do you know that that great preacher, that great apostle that started many of those New Testament churches even he made tents for a living. Even he worked 
to be able. Oh, he thanked God, and many times we find him praising and thanking God for the needs that were met in miraculous ways and through the churches and all these things, but he didn't just sit back and cry because it wasn't there. He got out, he worked with his hands, and he made sure. You see, we have the natural desire in the flesh to feel secure in what we have and what we see. Bible shows us some of the great patriarchs, whether it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, we see God supplying for them. They were men of faith. Their security wasn't in the things of this life. Most of them had to get up and leave the things behind, and God blessed them even greater. Some say, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's easy when you got riches. <laughs> That's easy when you got the wealth of this world. Well, poor old Job lost everything he had. But he didn't lose his faith. He lost his home, his family, his wealth, his health. But he didn't lose his faith. You see, it's not wrong to have possessions in this life. It's not wrong to have that. It is wrong to trust in those things. It's not wrong to have a house to live under and to stay warm and to stay dry. But when you begin to trust in that house to keep you secure instead of God Almighty, then it's wrong. It's not wrong to put back in savings for a rainy day. It's not wrong to put back so you can one day have something to live off of when you retire. But it's wrong when you begin to trust in those things instead of God. You see, the Bible teaches us that it's not the money, it's the love of money that is our problem. That same Apostle Paul, when he was writing to young Timothy back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Sometimes when we've got somebody that huh, somehow has authority over us, we don't count it all honor. Sometimes we want to rebel against that authority in some way. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. Because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Don't get caught up in the rat race. There's so many and it's so easy to feel like that Pardon me, but you got to have what the Joneses have next door. <laughs> it's the way the, the saying used to go. 
It's this race. You got to have, you know, they get a new car. You got to have a new car. They get an addition on their house. You got to build an addition onto your house. So many times at work, we can get caught up, caught up in the success of succeeding, of somehow passing somebody else and getting there. God says, withdraw yourself from all this worldly stuff. You're a believer. He says, but godliness with content is great gain. Godliness with content is great gain. Do you remember when we talked about those last few Sundays? We talked about God's great promise to never leave us, never forsake us. <laughs> Just in that context, it's where he told us to be content with whatsoever things we have. Why? Because... Because God is there and God's promised never to leave us and God's promised to never forsake us, we ought to be able to be happy and content with whatever we have or don't have in this life instead of always wanting more. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Wow, what a statement. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money not the problem. The love of money is the root of all evil. And he says here that there are those that are believers that have erred from the faith, that have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Why? Because of their love for this world's possessions. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You've got more than all that this world could ever offer and all that anybody out there, they can have how many times? We're watching a film at home the other night. One of the actors that was in there, we knew that he was dead and got to looking and realized that he'd, you know, 46 years of age, he died, and he was renowned to have possibly been one of the greatest actors of our day, of his generation. Yet he was found with a syringe in his arm, and his cause of death ended up being literally mixed intoxication. That heroin wasn't the only thing in his system. All this money, all these possessions of this world. And yet that's the way he was found dead at 46 years of old. The stories go on and on and on and on. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying that we have responsibilities in this life. But we don't have to look to the natural causes. Yes, we should busy ourselves. We should be the hardest workers out there. We should take our responsibilities more serious than anybody. But we're not trusting in these things, in all of these possessions and what we have. We're not trusting in those to meet our needs. It's a natural desire. 
find comfort in those things. But it's all too often that when people begin to trust in those, their faith begin to flounder. The disciples in our account here, they were struggling with some of those necessities, some of those things that they didn't know where they were going to come from because they were being asked to step out by faith, and Jesus is rebuking them, Oh, ye of little faith, you shouldn't be worrying about these things. You see, Jesus was trying to teach them and to train them to walk in faith. Faith is a, is a disciplined action in our lives. It's not a feeling. It's something that relies upon the promises of God, upon the Word of God. We don't base it on our feelings and all of these emotions. It's based upon what God says, but I'm promising you, if God says it in here, you can stake your eternity on it. You find that we can read about it forever and ever, but if we don't put it into action, you see... I know Satan wants you to doubt. I know it's a natural tendency to doubt. It's all too common for Christians to fall into that trap. I've seen time and again. And I'm not, preacher, you see, I don't mean it in a nasty way. I don't need your, I don't need your gifts. I don't need your money. I don't need your tithe. I don't need anything that you put into these offering bags. You need it. So many times we start calculating, I can't afford to do this, and I can't afford to do that because we're looking at our natural possessions. Why do we call it faith promise missions? Why year after year after year do we try to impress upon you most of us? Most of us, we live in such a blessed world, we never really have to walk by faith. We don't have to live by faith because we've got enough in the bank to take care of it. So many times... We start withholding from God because we want to meet our needs ourselves rather than trusting Him. I would remind you, we won't go back and read it all tonight, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, notice what it says in verse 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. You see, the problem is a lot of times we don't really enjoy. Why? I've told you time and again, you pick up our bulletin. Why do we say that we worship through giving? The Bible loves a joyful giver, literally a, a hilarious giver. All right, I get to put something in the offering plate. I get to give to God's work. You don't have to pay God for anything. Jesus Christ paid it all for you. You don't have to. Matter of fact, God doesn't want you to give grudgingly. He wants you to give from a cheerful heart. The reason it's hard to have a cheerful heart sometimes is because we've got little faith and we're thinking that we need it. We need it. The Bible says, look, whatever you give, God's going to bless you. You give sparingly, he's going to bless more sparingly. If you give bountifully, he's going to bless bountifully. I just want to encourage you this evening. You see, the problem so many times is seeking too much in the wrong places. 
seeking too much for what we can find in this world, the possessions and the things that we can build up here, often our struggle with faith is directly related to where we're looking for our needs to be met. We seek too much from the world. We seek too much from our own abilities and fail to trust God to fulfill his promises in our life. We also struggle with faith, not only because we're seeking too much in the wrong place, but because sometimes we seek too little in the right place. We seek too much from this world and our efforts and what we can do, but we seek too little from what God can do for us. What did he say there in verse 33? <clears throat> he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. David, we should have sung your, your song tonight. He loves that chorus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what God has said, just put me first. How do we seek God's kingdom? Well, simply put, God's kingdom is more important to us than ourselves and our own, sorry, but our own little kingdoms that we're building up down here for ourselves. Giving of ourselves to God, to his work. Again, back in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to notice because this should be a great illustration to all of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, notice what it says there, Beginning in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I want you just to look at what God is doing in those churches in Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality for to their power, what they could do, what was in their abilities, I bear record. Yea, they did what they could, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but listen, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. God wants you wholeheartedly. How do you put his kingdom first when his kingdom means more to you than your kingdom? His kingdom and his work is more important to us than our own agendas. We give him ourselves. We give him our time. We give him our efforts. We give him our possessions. His work will be directly affected by our faith. Put this up many times when it comes to the time that we're focusing upon missions. They're in your bulletin. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says in verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope. Look at this. When your faith is increased, that we... Paul and his workers shall be enlarged by you 
according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's line of things made ready by our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commandeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Paul is telling her, when your faith is increased, we're going to be able to give the gospel to more people. The work of God is directly related to our faith, how much we trust him, how much that we believe him, giving God ourselves. I could give you many passages, but we don't have time this evening. Giving ourselves to him and spending time with him. We've looked at this so many times lately. Spending time with him in his word, letting him speak to us through his word, spending time with him on your knees. I made the statement, I think it was this morning, maybe in the Bible study time. You got to realize when you're doing three or four sermons a week, you get them mixed up together sometimes. But I remember that we're talking about this simple fact that I think it was a Bible study time. So many times we think to be strong Christians to be effective Christians, to be good Christians, all those adjectives that we put on there to describe our Christian life. That we've got to do these grand big things. I want to tell you something. That that will keep you stronger and more effective as a child of God, as a Christian, as being Christ-like are the simple things like how much time do you spend with him in his word each day? You'll never be a strong Christian if you're not eating the spiritual food. How much time do you spend in prayer with him, communing with him? Folks, it's the simple things. We go around looking for these grand, great things that will make us great Christians. If we're going to be effective Christians, it's him working through us that's going to make the difference. Giving him ourselves. Giving him ourselves to read the word. Giving ourselves to pray giving ourselves to him by giving ourselves to others. You know, all the passages about loving God, he has more to say about loving one another. That's one of the greatest ways that you can show the love of God is by loving as Christ loves through you, those around you. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Let those things be the most important. Why do we suffer from this disease of little faith? Well, a lot of times it's because we're seeking too much in the wrong place. We're seeking too much from the world and our abilities and our possessions here, but we're seeking too little in the right place from God. Sometimes we're seeking too little in the natural place. What do you mean? Well, in our reading today, Jesus uses the provision that God makes all around us. He's telling us, look, Look around you at nature. God created everything that is. God sustains everything that is. God created those birds and he feeds them and he takes care of them. They don't have to store up in their barns what they're going to need for the winter. God beautifies. He clothes the grass with the flowers. You see, too many times when we look around at all those things around us, we're seeking too much in the wrong places. We're seeking too little in the right place, and we're seeing, seeing too little of God all around us, the reminders that he's put there for us. 
to see him. So look, he's telling his disciples, look around you. See what God is doing. See God's involvement in everything that's alive, in everything that lives. See how he cares for his creation, and you're the ones he died for. If he's taking care of the natural things out there like this, how much more is he going to take care of you? Seeking too much in the wrong place will give you little faith. Seeking too little in the right place can get that disease of little faith. Seeing too little in the natural things of God that are all around us. And finally, sensing, sensing too little of the special place. The special place that you have in God's heart. Oh, listen. <laughs> I find it tough sometimes, and I'm not telling you to get the, the big head of what a great Christian you are. That God loves you? No, I'm telling you, you look at yourself and you see the vile sinner that's there that's looking back at you in that mirror and you remember that he loved you enough that he was willing to lay down his life to die for you. What he's done, he did it for you because he loves you, because you have a special place in his heart. He didn't have to do that for you. We're more important than all the birds that he created out there, all the animal life. We're more important with all the beauty. There's some of you here this evening that you take great joy in the beauty of God's flowers and nature and those things that are there. You're more special to Him than the most beautiful garden that you've ever laid eyes on. You're the one that He loved enough. He didn't die for the birds. He didn't die for the flowers. But He gave Himself for you. He didn't make all these promises to the animal life. He didn't make all these promises to the natural life all around us, but he made those promises to you. Because you see, you're the one that's special for him. Faith, folks, it's a discipline. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You'll never... Mark it down, boldface it, capitalize it. You will never have the faith that you could have. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God if you don't spend time with him. You see, I promise you, I'm not afraid for the vilest sinner to the greatest Christian, the vilest sinner to the greatest Christian, I'm not afraid for them to go to the word of God, to read God's word, to spend time with them there because I promise you, promise you as an old gray-headed man, I promise you, the more you read, the more you know him, the more time you spend with him, the greater your faith will be. The more you exercise that faith, the more you put that faith to work. We're all in the same boat. You see, God's not calling you to be anybody else or do what anybody else is doing. I've got to be careful. Because it's all for his glory. I think, and it may sound silly to a lot of people. I know a lot of people have told me before it was silly. I don't say this bragging, but I want to tell you, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life, and God doesn't call everybody to do the same thing, so don't get me wrong. 
But one of the best things that God ever did for me in my life was when I left that business world. And I went on the road with absolutely nothing, not knowing many times where the next take of fuel or the next meal was coming from. Well, you can see I didn't go hungry. And I'm still here today. And I could tell you things that you could think they were coincidence if you want, but time and time again, how God met the needs for my family. And I, I never, ever once walked away from the responsibility. But I'll tell you what, I was far better off trusting God to meet their needs than for me to do it. I didn't think so at the time. But it was one of the greatest things he did when I, you know, I was stepping out by faith, you see. And so just in case, though, I made sure that I worked a few extra months so I could stick all this money back in the bank just for any emergencies that came up on the road. Well, there's nothing wrong with having an emergency pack, but within the first month, there'd been so many mechanical things go wrong that it was all gone. <laughs> no, I didn't think it was very good at the time. But God was just saying, Oh, ye of little faith. Just like he was talking to him here. Oh, ye of little faith. Learn to trust me. Learn to trust me. You don't have to see it. Have the faith to know that my promises, I will fulfill them. Faith is a discipline. And in some ways, we're spoiled because we're so blessed in the world that we live in. I said it. And I don't mean it in the wrong way. But I remember when we came back from the missions trip to Kenya, I said, I wish every Christian from our Western world could just go there and see how they can be so happy with so little. So happy with so little. So many of them had more joy in their hearts as a child of God. And they're living with hardly any possessions in this world. Folks, this world's possessions when we begin to trust in them, I'm not saying that you got to be starving and not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. I'm saying not to take care of it. I'm just saying don't trust in this world and the natural things. Trust in God. Walk with him. Put his kingdom first. Yes, you need to work. Yes, you need to take your responsibilities seriously, but not at the expense of him and his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You'll never go wrong when you put him first. But it is, it is a discipline. It doesn't come natural. And you know, no matter how far that we go down that path, there's always going to be the old enemy there trying to make you doubt this or trying to make you doubt that. But that's why the more of this that you've got in you. And if you truly believe it and you're truly trusting him, you see, our thought tonight is simply trusting in God's provision. That's where your trust has got to be. That's where your faith has got to be. And I know these disciples, it was very real and very genuine, but don't suffer from the little faith disease that they had. Trust in him. Know that his promises are sure. Do what you can do, but don't trust in those natural things of this world. You see, don't look for too much in the wrong place. Don't look for too little in the right place. Don't fail to 
look around and see the things that God is doing all around, all around you that remind you of his care for his creation, don't forget to sense the specialness that you are. If God does all this, that's the simple message he's trying to get across. If God does all this out there, what's he going to do for you? And you're the one that he's made these promises to. Father, I thank you this evening, and Lord, I, I feel that, you know, in the natural that I'm sure I failed you this evening because how can I ever, ever truly express for the truth of your promises in your word? And Lord, express to you that, Lord, you've blessed us so much. We live in a place where that we have so many possessions in comparison to most of this world, but Lord, help us not to be spoiled by those things. Help us not to get too comfortable in our spiritual lives because we've become so comfortable in our natural surroundings. Oh, God, help us to truly, truly seek you first. Help us to have a greater desire for you and for your kingdom than for our own. And, Lord, as we do the best we can to take our responsibilities seriously down here, help us to always remember we can't trust in those things being there even tomorrow we can trust in you always being there. We can trust you to supply every need that we have, every one of them you promise, according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.